health, parenting, finance, travel, and home improvement. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. Welcome to the Suburban Folk Podcast. I'm Greg Rodesheimer, your host. Today is a couple of firsts, or at least things we haven't done in a while. I am the only one that's going to be on the podcast today. It's been quite some time since I've done a solo episode. And also, home improvement has been the running joke for quite some time that it is very much a topic for us suburbanites because we tend to have homes out in suburban neighborhoods and you have to maintain the house that you have, whether that's DIY or whether that's using a contractor. But I've had a heck of a time getting people to come on the show that are home improvement experts. So I finally decided to take the bull by the horns and talk about what I have learned in the world of DIY and when I've gotten in over my head that it was time to get a contractor on board to make sure that I didn't blow up the house or anything like that. So from that standpoint, this will probably be a bit of a mini series. The first DIY or home improvement project that I ever took on was bathroom renovations. So that's going to be the first one that we go over here. There will be subsequent episodes about different rooms in the house, like the kitchen or bedrooms, things like that. But I feel like the bathroom covers a lot of the different areas for DIY that you have to consider that anybody taking on that project will learn a lot, figure out what they are comfortable doing and what they're not comfortable doing. For me, I separate the bathroom into four different sections, toilet, sink, shower or tub, and then the flooring slash walls, depending on how the tile is set up in your bathroom. The first place to start probably is the toilet. I tend to feel like it's one of the easiest DIY projects out there that you may not think so. When you first stare at the toilet, you might get a little nervous about what you may find. There is a little bit of a grossness factor, certainly. But once you get over that, actually taking out a toilet and replacing it with a new one, whether it's a complete remodel or something's broken with your toilet, it really is about as simple as it gets. And frankly, a basic toilet, I think, is about 100 bucks. So any plumber service that you're going to get is going to cost that. So you definitely are going to save some money. And heck, depending on what's going on with the toilet, maybe it's not broken. Maybe you don't want to deal with whatever's going on in the tank. Replacing it is probably not going to be that expensive and may be worth just doing instead of dealing with the headache of diagnosing whatever's wrong with your broken tank in your existing toilet or not. So it gives you some flexibility from my standpoint. So high level for the toilet, you've got the bolts on either side of the base. And then once you get those off, this is at least taking it out, you're going to have a wax ring that's the seal between the drain where everything goes down and the toilet itself. As far as install is concerned, those are really the main couple of things. So if you have a toilet that you are replacing, which I think most of us probably would because you're not starting from scratch, that would be a whole uh, different conversation as far as the plumbing is concerned. That's really the main things that you need to do is have a flathead screwdriver or a straight edge to flip off these little caps that are going to be on top of those bolts that are holding down the toilet. Once you flip those off, you basically should see a couple of nuts that are on top of those bolts. And those bolts are called T-bolts. 
And the reason is, is because once you get down to the bottom of the ring around the flange, they are a little bit of a T that holds it down to the ground itself. So if you're looking at any directions when you first open up the new toilet that you've bought, that's what they're going to call it, are those T bolts. So to get those nuts off, if you don't have anything else, heck, even pliers will work just to take them off of the bolt. But if you have the specific type of wrench, especially if it's an adjustable wrench, that's all you need to get those off. It is a little bit awkward to get down into the corners that your toilet probably are in, but I feel like almost every single kind of plumbing has some of those awkward positions when you're getting down on your hands and knees or even on your stomach to get those off. So just be prepared for that. And it comes with the territory for any kind of plumbing that you find yourself doing. Once you get that off, uh, you know what? The other thing that, of course, I forgot is make sure that the water is out of the toilet. You need to be able to shut off the water, which should be right behind the toilet. If for some reason there isn't a shut off there, uh, you would need to shut off the main water to the house. So make sure you know where that's at. Um, for me and most houses I've been in, it's been in the crawl space, presumably could be in your basement, maybe your garage. Make sure you know where that is. But again, if there is a shutoff in your bathroom, you obviously want to make sure that you turn that off at the source and flush the toilet a couple times to get as much water out as you possibly can. That's not going to take all of the water out. You will have to take a piece of Tupperware or something like that and bail out the rest of the water. So make sure that is done before you try to lift the toilet. Chronologically, you can do that one step that I'm just mentioning as far as getting those nuts off. Uh, but of course, you can't lift the thing afterwards. Another tip for making sure you make as little of a mess as possible, if you can get like one of those really giant trash cans to actually put around the toilet after you lift it up, because it's still going to leak, you're not going to get all of the water out of there. That'll help for some of the mess. It also will give you a place to lay the toilet once you get it to wherever it needs to go. For example, if you're not actually getting rid of the toilet, let's say you're replacing the floor, but you need to take the toilet up and you'll be putting it back. You can put it on that trash can, put all of your bolts and other equipment there so you know where it's at after the fact. So those are the couple of things that have worked well for me to make sure that you make as little of a mess as you possibly can when you're working through getting the toilet out. And then, of course, the other that you need to do is disconnect the water, which you'll find the supply line going straight into the tank behind the toilet. Pretty hard to miss. The uh, same thing as far as tools are concerned. I, I tend to use what's called like the vice grip, which is, can be adjustable and it'll grab right onto the plastic nut that connects to the tank itself. Um, and you might even be able to actually loosen it just with your hand. Depends on how long it's been there. Depends on just how tight it was put on uh, in general. But you'll want to go ahead and take that off. And from there, you should be able to lift the toilet. If you're a big enough guy, you should be able to do it yourself. And if you're not, make sure you have somebody with you that you're on both sides to be able to lift that up and get it onto a garbage or get it onto a trash bag, something like that. And then you are free to go ahead and take it out. The next part is something that I try to avoid, of course, in any situation if possible, which is getting rid of all the residue from the wax ring. Lucky for me, my wife is a clean freak and she also doesn't trust me to get anything clean. That happens to include the world of getting the wax ring off of 
the floor when you're needing to be able to get to the base and to the flange and everything else when you're putting the new toilet on. So yes, it's messy. No, it's not real fun. Use as many paper towels as you possibly need to just chuck it and, and get rid of it. But you do want to get rid of all of that excess so that you have a clean workspace for the toilet that you're going to be putting in. So once you have that done, again, you should also have that supply line still attached to the wall. One more note there, at least for me, I like the braided supply lines. They're the ones that are metal on the outside and, well, look like a braid in and of itself. For example, depending on your house, you might have, I guess it's more like a vinyl plastic supply line that I just don't like as much. Or if it's even an older house, you might have like a straight metal pipe almost that that's like at a 90 degree angle. So I feel like the braided lines are durable enough and also easy enough to be able to reconnect. They're, they're flexible enough that they can do that. You also want to see how long the original supply line was that was in there. So you know what length to be able to buy because there are different lengths. Again, it is flexible. So even if you get one that's too big, you can loop it around or so on, but hey, that doesn't look great. So try to get the size that matches your setup as closely as you possibly can. One other lesson learned, it's only in one house I've ever been in, and I can't say visiting friends or family's houses if they had the same thing. But in my first house, I guess my second house, they have push-pull uh, valves. So if you wanted to stop the water flow, I want to say you pushed it in. And then if you wanted to restart it, you pulled it back out and they're just crimped on to the pipe that goes back into the wall. I remember when we had a plumber looking at some sort of issue in the house, he commented that he's definitely dealt with issues with those kinds of, um, valves that, they'll just fall off. He even said he's heard stories where they will come off when people are on vacation, which means water is basically just flowing into your house. So he definitely recommended getting rid of those and putting on uh, something that has like a quarter turn valve or, or, or is, I guess that would be the main thing is, is a quarter turn valve. Now there's a couple different options there as well. There's compression valves. I've never installed one of those, but there are also these items called shark bites. If you ask anybody at a Home Depot or Lowe's, they'll know what you're talking about. And they've got these uh, like little, like the ball uh, valve on them so that basically when you push them on, they grip and they cannot come back off. I think ball bearing, I guess, is probably the right term. I hope I'm saying that right. But you basically just slide it right onto the pipe itself and that's it. You don't have to tighten anything like you do the compressions and you're certainly not talking about basically sweating a valve on like you would with copper pipes or kind of the old way that you would have seen plumbing be completed in the past i've heard people basically say shark bites haven't been out long enough to know how durable they are i.e could they fail and start leaking at some point in the future I don't know if that's still an issue. Heck, I've had some plumbers who have come and are using shark bites. So I think maybe they've been vetted enough. And when I originally heard that, that was like 10 years ago. I've only had one issue with a shark bite ever. The other thing that's nice about these is if they're going to fail, you'll know it immediately because the one that failed for me, I put it on, turned on the water, it was leaking immediately. Uh, and they are kind of hard to get off. They come with these little horseshoe tools where you have to press against the very end to let loose 
the grip on it and then you can pull them back out of the wall. So they're not really going anywhere once they're there. Also for this particular application, we're talking about putting it on at the very end of the supply line for your toilet, meaning you're going to see it. It's not something that's in the back of your wall and it's going to leak and you're not going to know about it until your ceiling caves in because there's all this water there. So for all those reasons, I would recommend a shark bite. Just make sure you get the 90 degree one in most applications. That's what you're looking for. So that when you put it on, basically the end of it's pointing up because your supply line is going to go up to connect into the tank. So something else to consider if you already have the quarter turn valve, it seems fine and so on. You don't have to do any of that. But if you do notice, especially this push pull uh, contraption that I used to have, I did eventually replace every single one of them in the house. Additionally, not to go on to that topic for too long. Uh, when I was replacing a sink in that same house, when we were pulling it out now, granted, I did hit it, but that one quick hit of it and the whole thing just came right off of the supply line. Thank goodness I knew exactly where the main shutoff valve was to the house because I sprinted down as fast as I possibly could to shut off the water all the way to the house because it was spewing through the whole bathroom. So I do think they can be dangerous and it's something that you should really consider replacing. Again, I it can't be more than 20 bucks, probably less than that, I would think, for the one shark bite. So something worth being able to do. Actually, one other thing about those particular type is they have the supply line crimped on. So basically the same mechanism that turns your water on and off, whether it's a push-pull or not, is also connected to the supply line. Most typical of what you're going to buy at Lowe's, Home Depot, wherever, the valve itself, you screw the supply line onto there. So they're two separate pieces. You're not dealing with a crimping same thing, if it fails, one piece of the other is going to fail rather than the whole piece itself failing. So again, multiple reasons why I don't really like the, the crimped items. And also, if you do happen to run into one of these push-pull uh, off-ons, I would recommend getting rid of those. Anyway, once all that's cleaned out, you are going to need a new wax ring. This is a couple other options for this. I've opted for... They're, they're called like a double double thick or double wide, something like that. Basically, it means there's a standard height on a wax ring. If your floor is flush to where you're basically putting the flange and, and the toilet itself, you sh should, in theory, be good to go. If you're putting in a new floor or if there already was a new floor, tile in particular is probably the best example. It will raise up how high your tub is, which basically means you need a taller wax ring that will be tall enough to connect to the toilet, keeping in mind that there is a height difference with that new tile or tile that you're dealing with that you put in. I don't think there's an issue actually just buying one of those double high, double thick wax rings anyway. I've used them almost exclusively just from the standpoint of as long as you can press down enough and as long as it doesn't start seeping out the side of your toilet because there's just too much extra wax in there, you should be okay. So I'm softly recommending that you just pick up one of those, even if you think it is flush and you don't need that extra amount of wax on there. I've not really had much of an issue, but you'll definitely need it. Worst case, of course, is that you're toilet is raised up because of the type of flooring that you have. You buy a regular wax ring and 
it doesn't contact. And then you're going back to the store. And <laughs> for anybody that knows these kind of DIY projects, one of the worst things is you think you've got all your materials, you get into the middle of the project, and then all of a sudden you don't have it. So you get out of your flow, you have to go back to the store, pick up the thing. And it's very hard to get back into that. I definitely have had to do the multiple runs to the hardware store in the middle of a project. And it just, again, it really slows things down. It makes you very, very frustrated. On that same note, you can actually buy two wax rings. They're very cheap, a couple bucks. So maybe even buy two. Actually, you want to buy two anyway, because it's a bit of a art, I feel like, when you put the toilet down. Because you can't see it, right? The only way you know if it's sealed correctly is when you turn the water back on and you flush it. And if it starts to leak, knock on wood, I've never had that happen at this point. But if it does start to leak... You're going to have to pull it up and do it all over again. And it really could be just because dumb luck, it didn't seat the way that it was supposed to. So pick up a couple of those so you're not making additional runs to the hardware store. And again, I would recommend at least considering those uh, double rings that they have out there. Then that goes to the T-bolt that I was also talking about. You hopefully could even reuse what is there. Now, this may differ for my perspective than somebody else's. Whenever you buy a toilet, it's going to have the T-bolts. Of course, the person selling that toilet doesn't know how high your T-bolts need to be because of that floor consideration that I was talking about before. So one of the things you do after you install the toilet is you have to use a hacksaw to cut down the top of the bolt because otherwise it's going to stick up too high and you can't put the cap on top of it. Generally speaking, somebody's already done that work with the toilet that you are replacing. So be careful in general, but in most applications, you can probably reuse the T-bolts that are there and they are likely compatible with the toilet that you are putting in compared to the one that you are replacing. And then that saves you from having to use your hacksaw to cut down uh, those new T-bolts. But if you want to use the new ones, you certainly can. And removing the other ones, you'll see it's like a part of a half circle that each one of them get inserted to. Uh, so you go to the larger end where you can get the T out. And then same thing, you would take the new ones, slide them into the larger hole, and then slide them into position uh, within the flange itself so that you can basically then put the toilet down. I would recommend for actually putting the toilet down if you have somebody to help you so that that way... One person has an eye on each bolt as you're lowering it down because it's got to go right on top so that the bolts come through the appropriate holes. And that can get a little bit challenging if you're trying to do that yourself. At least it does for me. Maybe there's a certain trick that you can find on YouTube that makes it less of a challenge. But before that, there will probably be some kind of installation that you need to do with the toilet itself. If nothing else, you're going to have to probably connect the bowl to the tank itself. Obviously, each one is different. You need to follow the directions. Usually, they're not that big of a deal. The only thing that I would emphasize, because I'm guilty of this probably every time, is when you are tightening anything plumbing-related. So, like, for example, in this case, where that supply line is going to connect – don't over tighten because you, you are dealing in a lot of cases with plastic pieces that can break. Uh, and you can also mess up uh, some of the like rubber gaskets that are part of that as well, which are meant to help make the toilet, in this case, the tank, be watertight. Um, so just be careful of that as you're putting together. Something else, when you are lifting the toilet, again, this goes back to the toilet you're replacing as well as the new toilet that you're putting together and ultimately are going to put back in. Do not lift it by the tank itself. 
Thank goodness I've never had this happen to me, but I've been warned over and over again by reliable sources that if you do that, it can absolutely snap. The tank can snap right off the bowl. If you are throwing the toilet away that you're replacing, okay, it doesn't really matter. And hopefully the rest of it doesn't drop and cause other damage. But if this, of course, is the new toilet, well, that is not great. At best, you're going to have to take it back and they'll give you a refund and you've had to go back to the hardware store, like I mentioned, and messing up your flow. At worst, of course, you just wasted however much you spent on that particular toilet because you've just ruined it. So be very careful to balance it by the tank when you're lifting it up, but lift by the bowl when you are moving the toilet. So high level at this point, once you've got all that cleaned up, once you've put that wax ring ready to go down, once you've got those T-bolts, you are ready to seat that toilet. Basically, it just needs to come straight down, aligning those bolts on either side, and of course, making sure that it contacts with that wax ring. Once you have the initial contact, then the fun part, you get to sit on the toilet and just ease it down so that the wax ring um, continues to go down and basically you get to the floor. Um, You really don't have much else to do there. You might wiggle a little bit back and forth to make sure it gets down as far as it's going to. Um, But then it is seated and now you are actually putting the bolts back on. So you will take the nuts that came with your kit. In this case, I would say you probably are going to use the new nuts that are with it as opposed to what I had said for the bolts. You could potentially use the other nuts. The reason why the nuts are a little bit more important than the bolt itself is because I've found that the caps that go on top to cover the bolt is unique to the bolt itself or the the piece of plastic that goes along with the cap. You'll see what I mean again in the directions. I think the most common is you've got this little plastic circle that goes on the bolt first then you've got probably a a metal uh washer that goes on there and then the nut itself once you put all that down the cap will actually click into that circular plastic piece afterwards but some are a little bit different for example there's universal ones that'll screw right in the bolt again each one's different that part's not very hard to figure out so I, i have faith that if you've gotten this far you'll be able to figure out the rest once that's done if you do have to use a hacksaw Again, if you don't know what that is, just go to your hardware store, check Home Depot's website or so on, type that in. You'll see what it is. It's specific for cutting metal like this. You have to cut it down low enough so that that cap will fit on there. If you did the trick that I said, hopefully you don't have to do that at all and you can skip that step because it is a little bit annoying to have to put that on. Uh, And before you do that, though, uh, you're going to actually tighten the toilet down. And this is another that easy does it a little bit at a time. I have been warned by many different people that you can indeed crack the porcelain on the bottom of the bowl if you tighten those bolts too tight for the toilet. So a little bit of time on each side. You'll notice that it'll go down a little bit again, especially with that wax ring, but don't go crazy. This isn't like putting up drywall and, and you're, you know, just shooting the, the screws in, it is a little bit more delicate than that. So that's the main thing I would say is don't just think you're going to tighten one side all the way and then tighten the other side, tighten a little bit one side, tighten the other bit. So it keeps going down at more even level. Uh, at that point, once those bolts are cut, you're putting the cap back on and you should be in pretty good shape. You're going to then put that supply line on that we talked about. Again, worst case scenario is you bought a supply line that is actually too short If it's longer and you don't mind a little kink or circle in it, uh, then you're all good to go uh, to 
connect that to the bottom of the tank, check the directions, whether or not you need to use the uh, tape. And of course, I'm going to forget the name of the, uh, it's like a plumber's tape that's, it's white uh, that that you can wrap around the, uh, uh, the, the, that you can white, you can wrap it around the, uh, where the threads are for the supply line that gives a little bit of an extra seal. Again, the directions will tell you if you need that or not. Once that's there, you should be ready to turn the water back on and the toilet will fill. And that's when you keep your fingers crossed. You try to flush it a couple of times, see how it goes. Hopefully there's no leaks at the base. Again, going back to that wax ring part, um, hopefully there's no leaks at the bottom of the tank. Check that as well. Check any of those connection points. Uh, again, if you had to replace the supply line, make sure that it's connected to the valve and, and into the wall the way that it's supposed to be. You do not want to think everything's good. You forgot about it, go to bed, and then wake up in the morning to a big mess or anything like that. Uh, it's also not a bad idea to put a bucket underneath that section uh, where the supply line is as well, just in case it does start leaking. Hey, at least it's in a bucket. Uh, and then you can figure out what's going on after that. So eye level, that's what you need to do to be able to get the toilet in. I know that was a lot of steps, but it really is a project that most people should be able to complete. And again, if there's a, one tip that I definitely learned from one installation to another, going back to those shark bites, if you do need to replace that, or let's say it is a new bathroom. I had a new bathroom put into my very first house and the supply lines were put in, but, but they did not have the valve on them yet. So I didn't actually know what exactly to buy. Uh, and then when I saw the guy do it, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you can just push these right on and it's not really a big deal. On to the next item that I mentioned, the sink. Again, I, I don't see much reason why somebody probably couldn't put in a sink uh, on their own. As far as removal of the one that's there, if it's not going to be salvageable, which you'll probably figure out later depending on how it's secured to the wall, if there's glue, stuff like that, don't worry about it. You can just take a hammer, whatever, hack it out of there um, is, as easily as you possibly can. One thing to note, I, I don't know if people know this for the top, but Unless it is a laminate top, which means like the bottom is going to have like the MDF base to it, th those would be screwed in at the side. So you'll want to check for that if that is what you have. But if you have anything else like a marble or, or a harder surface, that's not going to be screwed in anywhere. It's actually going to have like silicone on it. So don't be looking for any other way that it's been secured. Maybe there's exceptions to that rule that I'm not thinking of, but um, that's of course probably going to be your part one after you start by turning off the water, disconnecting those supply lines and making sure that everything for the faucet itself is disconnected. That's really going to be the next place to start as far as removal is concerned is getting that top off so that you can see what you're doing. Uh, and it just makes the workspace a whole lot easier. But Again, emphasis on those first couple of pieces, turn off the water. Again, if you, for some reason, don't have that right at the sink itself, you're going to have to turn off the mains. Or if you do have to replace the valve or something, you're going to have to turn off the mains. Uh, make sure all those supply lines are out of there uh, because I've definitely done that where I've forgotten one of the uh, connections to disconnect. And then I go to lift the top and it doesn't quite come off. Not a big deal. It's just a little bit annoying. Uh, and then you got to go back down and, and get that done. But again, taking that off, unless it is laminate, you should be able to take it off uh, basically with a little bit of, with a little bit of elbow grease to, to get that done. Once you have that completed, 
Best case scenario is it's a newer sink that tend to have an open back. What I mean by that is there is nothing but the wall, more or less, to the, to the very back of the cabinet sink itself. Uh, the, the older ones actually have their own back on them, which sometimes makes it a little more difficult to, to pull it out, especially if there was like a hole that was cut where the drain goes. Um, but if there's not, and it's just the wall, which again, I've found that most new, most new sinks are, most new sinks are set up that way. So that will be a whole lot easier that you're just looking for the screws essentially, because likely it's been screwed into the wall somewhere, wherever the studs happen to be, make sure that's out. Uh, the floor part sometimes can be easier said than done, depending on if there's quarter round or other things that they've done to basically make the sink look like it's part of the overall aesthetic or part of the wall itself. Um, but pull all of those out and you should just be able to lift and take the sink out from there. I will admit I've never really had to take out any standalone sinks that don't have the cabinet in and of themselves. So I would actually do a little bit of research to know how those get anchored. If there's anything else that has to be done with them, obviously there's no taking the top off because they generally are one piece or maybe the bowl is one piece and then you've got the the stand itself that's separate. But I would have to do a little bit of research there. So go check YouTube if that's the setup that you have in your house and something that you're having to remove. Once that's out of there, uh, you're basically putting the cabinet in the way that what you're replacing was. And actually, you know what? I should have said that from the very beginning. When I'm saying this is DIY, this assumes you are basically putting everything back in the exact same place that you found it. So if you're planning on moving your toilet to a different part of the room and reconfiguring anything, that means you're going to be changing the way the plumbing is set up either behind the walls or in the floor, et cetera, et cetera. I do not mess with that stuff. And that is where I would definitely say having a plumber come in and do the work is certainly something to consider. If you are more comfortable with that kind of work, you can probably Go ahead and do it, but it's just not something that I do. And again, hey, YouTube's got a lot of stuff out there, so you can decide for yourself if you go check out some videos of uh, how to do something like that. But everything I'm talking about is assuming you are just replacing and putting something back in the same spot that it was at. And actually on that same point, in this case, if you have the extra wall space and you can get a bigger sink in there, great, perfect. I'm all about that as long as it doesn't mess with the the flow of the room and you, you're knocking into it because it's too close to the other wall or to the toilet or whatever else it is. Use that wall space from that standpoint, but otherwise make sure you know how big the sink is that you are then replacing so that you get the same size uh, that you're utilizing the space as best that you possibly can. You're also going to have some patchwork that I'm not really going to talk about too, too much after the fact. I mean, I don't think I've been able to take out any sink without having to do a little bit of patching the walls and then repainting. It's just the way it goes for any kind of demolition that you're, that you're doing. But once that's out to that same point, you would go ahead and probably do some patching at that point. It would, in my opinion, it's better to do that before you put in the new sink than putting in the sink and having to basically do the patchwork and the painting uh, around it. Cause that's just detail work that I don't think you necessarily have to do. Um, but once you have that in, then once you get that cabinet up into the right spot, really, you're just looking for studs behind that you can screw it into to keep it into place. And that's really just on the back wall. There's not much you're going to be able to do as far as securing it to the floor or anything like that. So don't think you're going to have to drill straight down or if you're putting 
your sink directly on tile that runs underneath that you're gonna have to figure out a way to, to drill through that. That is not the case. You just have to be able to secure it to the back wall, which really, again, shouldn't be a big deal since you wouldn't have put the top on yet anyway. From there, the other easy part, of course, is getting the top on itself. Like I mentioned, if it's marble or a hard material like that, you're going to take some silicone caulk and put that around the top and then simply place the uh, top onto the cabinet itself. If you do have laminate, like I mentioned, there will be likely little triangles that are in the corner, like as supports, that once you put the top on, you should be able to put a screw right up underneath there um, that will help hold that into place. You'll also, once that's completed, be putting caulk around the gaps, uh, whether it's, let's say it's granite and you've got uh, basically a backsplash that's right up against the wall. You want to make sure that you've got caulk between that backsplash and the base of the sink. Uh, similarly, if it is laminate and it already has a backsplash attached to it, let's say you're probably still going to caulk on the very top of that to make sure that no water can get between that and the walls. So make sure you're covering all those cracks. Make sure you have the right kind of caulk. Again, if it's a hard surface like I'm talking about, it would be silicone. Actually, I think it's going to be silicone in nearly every case. Double check me on that for sure, but you need something that is watertight um, rather than example painter's caulk which um, isn't going to work if it gets wet and would be a big mess so make sure you have the right material there for that um, once that is secure then you're ready for the sink and the drain itself the supply lines for the sink are the easy part i feel like you basically once you get up underneath there you're going to see screws on either side of the hot and cold water Basically, once you get those on, you screw them up so that it's pinching the faucet itself on the top to this nut that's underneath there uh, to hold it in place. And you do that on both sides. Again, those mechanisms are a little bit different here and there. Going back to the vice grips that I was talking about, I find that they work pretty well. There are definitely unique tools for these kinds of applications. I don't do enough of these installs that I would go and pay the money for those tools. But if you're like a full-time plumber and you're doing these installs all the time, I know there are certain types of wrenches that make these jobs a lot easier, but it does get kind of tight under there. You're again, going to be on your back. You're going to be looking straight up to get these screwed in and ready to go. And you've got the drain to deal with and the other supply lines. So being able to tighten some of this stuff gets a little bit tough. Same emphasis on these. Most are made to be relatively hand-tightened with maybe another quarter return uh, from your pliers or from vice grip, whatever you happen to be using to get that done. So again, don't go crazy on that one either. Less of a concern here than it was with the items that are dealing with the water itself, but no reason to you know, tighten it until you break something because a lot of those pieces are also plastic. For the drain... Uh, Hopefully, whatever you've put in, uh, the drain configuration that was already there can be put back. That doesn't tend to happen, especially if you are replacing an old sink. They used to be a lot shorter. I don't know what the exact height was, but newer sinks tend to be taller than the older ones. So at the very least, you may have to get some sort of an extension uh, from what you currently have so that it can reach the top of the drain. and. You should be able to figure that out uh, as far as at the hardware store, take the pieces that you have, tell somebody what you're trying to do to, to basically put in one more straight piece going right up to the top uh, of the sink itself. And again, knock on wood, hopefully that's the only thing. If your trap and the trap is that piece that 
looks like a U or a horseshoe at the bottom. Uh, if it has to be turned or angled because the, the drain isn't quite in the same spot, um, you may have to use these bendable. I'm sure there's a better term for that, but they're like these bendable style drain pieces that give you a little bit more play to make sure that you're getting to the drain to where you need to go. So if I had to rank anything of the most frustrating part for a sink, that actually is it for me. Uh, also going back to how you screw in those pieces so they say they're all supposed to be just hand tightened. You've got a gasket uh, that connects the two together. And then you've got the, I guess, like a nut that screws those together and it basically compresses it down to make it watertight. Everything I've read says that you're supposed to hand tighten those. I don't know that I've ever turned on the sink and tested it that there wasn't a leak until I used at least some kind of tool to tighten it just a little bit further. So be patient with that at that point and... Again, don't be too aggressive, but I've found that I have had to use at least a tool or two, again, to tighten that up. So uh, again, you'll be a little bit creative, but it's relatively doable. And best case scenario is you don't have to buy any extra pieces. There is even a little bit of play in the length of the drain pieces, the drain pipe that is there. For example, they can seat down a certain amount of distance from one piece to the other. So you might be able to pull it out a little bit more to get closer to where the drain from the sink starts at. So again, good luck <laughs> on that one, but it is doable as far as just buying an extra piece and making sure you have the right thing. And also because the drain comes apart so easily, the drain pipe, you can take that to the hardware store and show them what you have and the, the size and so on uh, that they can likely help you match up the right thing. But once you've got that, it also is the same way. You've got the the sink stopper on the very top of the sink and it will connect to that drain pipe itself. You're going to screw it in so that it basically brings the stopper down so that it's uh, watertight there. Follow the directions on what it tells you as far as seating is concerned. There is plumber's putty that I think sometimes can be used uh, with these applications. Honestly, again, it, I think it's hit and miss depending on the type of uh, sink stopper that you're putting in. Definitely for a kitchen sink, for example, the plumber's putty is something that you need to be able to use, which is a whole different application. We're not talking about that, but at any rate, it, that is something else that you would potentially be putting in to make sure that you get it watertight and that the seal is good to go. I must say one of the most annoying parts as a, as a fun little aside here for the stopper. So I feel like there's two types, right? There's the one that you can just push down and it'll click and then you push back and then it clicks back up and that's it. Those are kind of nice. Although we did just have one of those that wouldn't click back up and it just got stuck and we had to jar it out uh, to get done. The other type is with the handle on the back of the faucet that if you push it down, it goes up. And if you pull it up, then it goes down. Connecting those two pieces down to where it is part of the drain itself, I swear is like the worst. They always make that seem so easy. There's like a little pin that once you get this long metal rod to connect to the lever that's part of the stopper itself, it can be a pain, I feel like, to get that on there and to tighten up to the actual um, lever on the top that, that goes up and down. I feel like it can be a bit of a pain. And of course, you've got to adjust it because every height's a little bit different for every um, installation. So another item that you're so close to being done once you get to that point, but it can be very frustrating because it's got to be done. You got to be able to do it. And I feel like most sinks are that way. And again, now that I've had an issue with the other click type, that you don't have to put that piece together. I'm probably going to only use uh, the the ones that have that that lever to 
pull the drain up and down. So I'll be doing it for any time that I have an installation going on because, again, the other one had failed. Uh, but that's the, one of the next things that you need to make sure you've got ready to go uh, so that your stopper can work. And presumably at this point, if you've put the faucet in together, make sure that hot and cold water are in the right spots. You should be ready to try out your sink. So turn on your supply lines, open up the faucet and see what happens. Again, from my experience, supply lines almost never leak because it's pretty obvious whether or not the threads have gone correctly when you're connecting those lines together. Um, whereas for the drain, that that's a little less obvious. Going back to the supply lines again, I don't think I mentioned this for the toilets, which I should have. There's a specific type of supply line for the toilet. You'll know it because it's got a big, big plastic end um, that connects to the toilet tank. The supply lines for sinks, uh, they basically look very similar on each end. Um, so they'll be marked when you go to the store to get those. They might actually be in a different spot, though, from each other. It may be where the toilets are. That's where the toilet supply lines are. Where the sinks are, that's where those supply lines are. It uh, depends on the setup of the hardware store. But again, those are different connections. All the same things apply that I mentioned before as far as the type of valve that you have and whether or not you want to replace your existing supply line or not. So you use the same information. Again, worst case scenario is that you buy a supply line that's too short and then you're in the middle of your project. You can't connect that and you're back to the hardware store, uh, wasting more time and getting madder and madder because your project's not over yet. But again, once those are, are connected, you should be able to try out the water, make sure that the hot and cold is working the way it's supposed to. Uh, and then that drain, make sure you have a bucket ready to go. I don't know that I've ever connected a sink where I haven't had to retighten the drains at some point or another uh, and, and make sure that they're configured correctly. Um, so again, just be patient with it. Uh, tighten as you need to run it a couple different times. I would say run it for a decent amount of time. I'm sure there's a very specific amount of time you're supposed to run the water when it first uh, comes through. Actually also check your instructions as far as the faucets concerned. I know that some faucets require that you run the water for a certain period of time before you're actually drinking out of it and to make sure all of the stuff that might have been in there uh, has flushed itself out. So that's something else to, to make sure you know what the amount of time is supposed to be for that. Um, but again, check that drain in particular, I would say, over and over again, um, not only an initial installation, but a couple days after, a week after. Um, never get too complacent about whether or not that drain is doing what it's supposed to do. But again, once that is completed, that's going to be about it for your sink. The third one is the shower slash bathtub. And this is an easy one for me because I don't really deal with this. The only thing that I have ever done to update my shower and or bathroom is to replace golden finishes. So replacing the shower head and the handle, uh, the faucet uh, to turn the shower on and off. Lucky for me, that was an older house where they still have the access panels. So literally, I could go right behind it, see exactly how everything connected. I did use those shark bites again, which was okay because if it was going to leak, it would have leaked right into the basement and again, not into any walls or anything like that. That is the most I have ever done with a shower or bath. I leave anything else like that to a plumber and knock on wood at this point other than a full bath remodel with our latest house. That required basically contractors for most of that work. I, I haven't had to do anything else, nor would I plan to necessarily, which brings me to the fourth and final item that I would encourage people to consider doing. And that is the flooring. The reason why I think that's related is depending on your setup of your 
bathtub slash shower is you may have tile in there that you are wanting to replace. Again, if you've got like the prefabricated stuff and so on, I would not be the one to cut that out and then put the tile in. But if you are replacing old tile with new tile, I think that's absolutely reasonable to be able to do knocking tile out from a demo standpoint. It's messy uh, and does take some time, but it's not hard. Uh, you're basically taking a hammer to it and it'll come right off. It'll come right off the wall. Uh, and the replacement that I'll talk about here in a second, as far as backer board and thin set is again, not too bad. And frankly, of the items that I've had contractors come in to do the work, I think I've had the worst results with people doing tile. So I only say that because not only do I think laying tile is doable, I think you're going to do about as good of a job as anybody that you bring in to hire. It seems very hard to get somebody in that really knows what they're doing for your tile work. One other thing I would say as well, I, I personally am not a big fan of like the linoleum style floor that basically is just stuck right to your subfloor. I just, it, I guess it's just been a long enough time that I haven't had a floor like that. And the first floor that I did replace in a bathroom was that style uh, and then was able to put tile right on top of it. And tile is relatively affordable if you get just a basic ceramic 12 by 12. And to me, it's it's quite a nice upgrade for not a whole heck of a lot of money. Now, taking ceramic tile out, which I've also done, uh, and then replacing it with more ceramic tile is every bit as frustrating as you maybe have heard. Again, doable. It's really just a slow process because you're having to take out all of that uh, backer board and everything else. Uh, but I digress. From that standpoint, if you are putting tile down on something that is not tile, uh, i.e. A, a linoleum, like those peel and sticks or just the, the whole sheets that go down, some people opt to just basically put the backer board, which is where your tile is going to go on, right on top of that. Frankly, I did with the first one. I will say if you can get that off and you're right to the subfloor, all the better. Go ahead and do that. That's the right way to do it. Um, but uh, it's probably not uncommon at all that people are putting it right on top of these other types of flooring. So a backer board, cement board, there's a couple different options. Um, I think Hardy Backer is the name of the brand that I typically have used. My one tip for this stuff is they suggest that you can break it just like drywall, which basically means that you take a razor and score it all the way from top to bottom. And then you basically can just take your knee and break it in half, right? I don't know who exactly is able to do that, but it does not work for me, at least anyway. So I've happened to have like the diamond tip uh, blades either in my the wet saw for the tiles, or I've actually even had one uh, for a jigsaw. And I eventually just started using that. The good thing is you don't have to be super precise with your cuts on that. I mean, they have to, you can have massive gaps where your tile is going to go between the two boards, but it doesn't have to be, you know, as tight as what maybe let's say your baseboard is when you're making cuts there because everybody's going to see it. You're going to have tile that's on top. So long as it's supporting the tile that you're putting on top, you're going to be all right. So that's my one tip is don't believe the person that says you can just cut this hardy backer with your uh, razor and just snap it like that. I've not had that be the case, but put it all down, lay it out uh, and basically cut it and, and put it down on the floor. Um, I know that's a pretty generic way to say it, but again, bathrooms are very, very different. It's 
measuring it's it's putting the stuff down it's cutting for the the odd pieces and so on and you're just putting it down that way again hardest spots really probably to do is around your toilet because you're going to have to cut the circle around either side but for this part it's not really that big of a deal it's probably a bigger deal with the tile itself another thing that i guess some people will do versus not the correct way as i understand it you do need to put thin set thin set basically is mortar uh, in the tile world but you need to put thin set down first on the floor and put the backer board on after that uh, i will definitely say the first couple of installations i did i just screwed it all down which you do need to screw it down but i did not put the thin set below the idea of course is to make it as uh, even and level as possible because you want tile to be on as level of the surface as it possibly can be so i would recommend doing that i did that in every other one when i realized i did it wrong the first time knock on wood the other one did not ever have any crack tiles but um do that first and thin sets pretty easy to use Put it in a big, huge bucket, add the right amount of water, you know, check it. I think it, it should be like that peanut butter uh, consistency is usually what, what you'll hear. You have to buy a trowel. Uh, again, everybody at the hardware store will tell you exactly what that is. So you grab that and you're, you're putting that all over the floor, putting your backer board down. I would suggest actually cutting all the backer board first and laying it out, taking it up and then putting down the thin set and then laying it down. Once that's down and dry and ready to go, actually, you don't have to wait for it to dry. Um You'll see there's actually even little circles in the Hardy Backer brand where you are just screwing it down. There are special screws. Again, they're, they're right next to the Hardy Backer itself, so it's, they're hard to miss in the store. But there are special screws that you would get to screw those down and make sure that everything is level, nice and neat, and ready to go. Once that dries, then you are ready for the tile. I've actually done this both ways as far as measure and lay everything out and then... Uh, versus basically start to put the thin set down and place the tile itself and then measure as you get to the certain spots where you need to make cuts. Knock on wood, I haven't really had an issue with either way of doing it. Obviously, it's more time-consuming laying everything out first, then taking it off, and then actually putting it down onto the floor. Um, and the risk doing the other way is if you do get a really crazy cut and I guess you just really get stuck on it, could the thin set and everything dry and you've you've got something else messed up going on. So do whatever you're comfortable with. I would say probably the first time you probably would want to measure and make sure that it all makes sense to you before you actually start putting the thin set down. Um, so that really is your next step is to start laying out those tiles. There are spacers that you will find in the same section of the store as the tile itself. And basically, as far as I'm aware, you have two options. It's quarter inch and an eighth inch. Uh, they're little crosses and you just put them uh, on all ends of the tile. Here's another tip that I learned. Don't just put one in the middle of each tile. What I mean by that is it, it, if you are have one tile and another tile, don't put that spacer right in the middle of it because, of course, either tile can basically pivot on the top or on the bottom with just one. But if you put one towards the top of that gap between the two and one at the bottom, and then make sure that they're nice and tight on either end, well, then you know you've got a straight line between the two and you don't have like a V where that um, grout line is going to be. So don't skimp on the amount of spacers you get. Again, they're cheap. So if you have to buy a couple bags because you got a big project going on, that's fine. That's worth it. Uh, there's no reason to use less spacers or anything like that. But again, they have those spacers so that you can be as uniform as possible. One other tip though, however, don't just assume that when you get to the, the four corners, especially if you're doing just a basic checkerboard pattern, that they're going to line up exactly right. I would say eyeball a little bit, make sure it looks aesthetically correct rather than just assuming every single tile is the exact same, every single 
um, spacer, you've got the exact same. Because um, I've seen that too, where you get to the four corners and they're all wonky and your eye just goes right to it, which is also not great. Another piece of equipment you definitely need to get is a wet saw. They make really small ones. I got one, I don't know, it was maybe a hundred bucks, probably even less than that. Not much to it. It actually, instead of being like one of the big wet saws that has the saw on the top that you pull down and, and across, this one is set up more like a table saw. So you're actually moving the tile itself um, across that way. And then the water's on the very bottom rather than there's being sort of coming from the top that I think the more expensive ones are. I, that thing's been worth its weight in gold. The other option, for example, is they make these nippers that are just dry when you're cutting around certain edges, or they have these ones that... Um, you put the tile in and it scores it on the very top and then you push down and it breaks either side, kind of cracks it. Uh, I think they're a pain. And again, they are cheap enough wet saws that it's worth getting in my opinion. I've done enough tile jobs, like I said, to definitely feel comfortable about that cost. And I would encourage anybody that's going to do this job to do that. Um, so once you have your wet saw and you're ready to start making those cuts, that's what you're doing. Again, for me, I like this to be a two person, Hey, maybe even three person job. Once you're ready to affix these down. So you have a person that's just doing nothing, but making the cuts, you've got a person that is putting down that thin set with the trowel. And then you've got the person that's actually putting down the tile itself. Uh, another Seems obvious tip, but maybe not. Another reason maybe to put these down ahead of time, make sure that you leave yourself somewhere to get out as the tiles are being put down. So in other words, start at the opposite end of your door, right? <laughs> so that you're putting those in and then you're coming back and the last tile you put is at the door so that you're not stepping on the tiles while they're drying or anything like that. Um, so again, keep that in mind as well as you're putting all the tiles down and are ready to go. Once that's done, you wait for it to dry and then you're putting in the grout. Um, another tip for the grout, if you do not get the pre-mixed kind, which I'm kind of 50-50 on, uh, if you're in a hurry, it's not much more expensive to get the pre-mixed grout, but I don't think it comes in as many colors, at least the last time I did one of these jobs. Uh, and it, actually, I feel like afterwards, it maybe shrank even a little bit more than the uh, type that you need to be able to mix yourself does. But again, if you want to save some time, they do have pre-mix that you basically buy the container and off you go. Um, if you are going to mix it, you mix it with water. Again, the tip here is it does not need nearly as much water as the thin set that you were mixing before. So be careful. I definitely have ruined a whole batch <laughs> of, of uh, grout by putting way too much water in. But once that's ready to go, again, a similar consistency to what that thin set has been, then you're going to use what's called a float. Basically looks like a really hard rubber sponge uh, on the end of a handle. And you're just slapping that stuff in there. You don't have to be super clean. Well, I will say this, it, be as clean as you possibly can because it'll save you in all the wiping down after that. But you're not going to get it all just right into the, uh, to the grooves between the tiles so you're going to be using the sponge so don't get up in arms about that but you're basically putting it in there and running that uh float from top to bottom and just getting all the grout in all the cracks that's really all you're doing there once that's complete and it has a little bit of a chance to set up then you're going to come back with a sponge and that's one of the tedious parts is you're basically sponging off all the excess off the top of the tile um, so that it's clean across the board. There are actually been some different ways to do this. At least from my experience, I have tried to wipe off as much as I possibly can before it really dries, which has worked very, very well as far as saving time afterwards. But sometimes you can mess up a little bit of the line in the 
actual groove itself because you've touched it while it's still wet, that kind of thing. Whereas I feel like the more traditional recommendation is that you put it in there, you let it dry a bit, and then you come back and you just really scrub, really scrub, and you're not going to mess up anything in the lines that you want to. The time I did that, it did all work out okay, but I got nervous because I guess maybe I let it dry a little bit too long that the sand that's in that grout, I mean, just really was not coming off those tile at all. Not well, at least anyway. And I ended up having to use like a cleaner. And once I used the cleaner, it came off and it worked out okay. But I was sweating it for a little bit that I just put all this tile down that I was going to somehow have to take off because I didn't do that part correctly. Um, high level, that's how the tile works. Of course, follow the directions for how long it takes for that thin set and everything else to be able to dry. And once it's dry, then you should be able to walk on it probably about 24 hours after you've put it down. Um, and hopefully from there, you're good to go. Again, the emphasis on that hardy backer and making sure everything is as flat as possible. You can do a little bit with the thin set to sort of level it out as far as putting a little more where it's uneven, but don't go crazy because crack tile is not good and replacing a tile is not really fun at all. Uh, again, I mentioned I've had to take out a full tile floor before. And that's when you know the whole thing is coming out. And it's also pretty tedious when you have to hammer out one that's cracked and then put in a new one. And, and it's it's a whole big deal. So try to make everything as even as you possibly can, especially I'm moving to the kitchen a little bit more here. But for example, if you're going to have a refrigerator on that tile, um, if it's not fully supported by the hardy backer underneath, you're just asking for it to crack or something like that. So definitely be aware of that. But high level, again, tile is really super doable. and like I mentioned in the beginning, if you are moving into an old house, my one house was from the 1950s and it had that real chunky tile that goes up about halfway through the wall. I ended up knocking all of that out and putting in drywall. If I had to do it over again, I would have just knocked out the tile and replaced it with more current looking tile. It would have definitely saved me a lot of time and headache quite frankly. But again, that's very doable. It's all very much the same process for the wall itself. Um, again, just got to be careful with those spacers and how all that goes on because you know they can, they can sink down on you a little bit more, whereas when you're laying them flat on the floor. Um, so that in a nutshell are the items that I think you can definitely get away with doing DIY, watching YouTube videos. The idea of my talk here is to say I'm not the most handy guy in the world, but these are things that I was able to accomplish and I think accomplish relatively successfully, certainly save money and feel good about the end result in the house. So I feel very confident that other people would be able to accomplish these items as well. If I get a chance to put this on YouTube, I will try to put links to the types of tools that I'm talking about or pictures, I guess I should say, of the types of tools. And I'll even maybe just leave a link to Home Depot, Lowe's, something like that. Uh, so that people can peruse and use some of the terms that I've talked about to get a visual of the different items we have. I've made the joke before as well. Probably one of the reasons I don't get a lot of home improvement guests on the show is because it's very visual when you're trying to describe how to do some of the stuff. So I understand that it's easier to watch it on YouTube. So again, emphasis on why I'm hoping what people get out of this is that it's not that hard if you follow the directions and are careful and of course just like anything experience matters the more you do it the more comfortable you're going to get the better you're going to get at it so happy DIYing everybody this is the first of a bit of a mini series where I will go into kitchens next and then probably even just general renovation for the rest of the house like painting baseboards other things like that 
Thanks as always for listening and we'll catch you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or all other major podcasting applications to be notified of our latest episode. You can also join our conversation at SuburbanFolk.com or any social media site, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the handle SuburbanFolk. Thank you for listening to my daddy.